I don't want to talk About things we've gone through Though it's hurting me Now it's history Borak Thong Earthlets! My name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 53rd episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. Though this week, we're taking a break from our usual weekly progs to cover the 2080 annual 1981. So, once again, these annuals are always numbered for the year after they came out, so this one's got like a cover date of September 1980. Yeah. Um, these annuals are slowly getting better, I'd say. Uh, um, this one is like half good, I guess. and Which is better than all bad. Yeah, uh, but man, it just really punches you in the gut about halfway through. That's all I'm saying. Let, <laughs> let me tell you something, Conrad. There are four things I hate in this world. Two of them I have discovered by way of this comment. The first is Cookie Crisp. The second is Jerks. The third is the Green Cross Code. And the fourth is fucking Legacy Comics. <laughs> Fox hates British Legacy Comics. It's hard to blame of everybody. <laughs> I, like... Listen, you gotta start somewhere, and I'm not saying that the U.S.'s were great. I mean, fuck, maybe Turkey had amazing fucking legacy comics. Who knows? But Jesus, this is... Just shoot me. All right, let's get... I never, I never want to read another uh, whatever Time Squad. Oh. Hope, hopefully, we won't have to. So... I want to say before we start the, uh, the thrills that this annual opens with three pretty cool th- uh, pre-thrill pre-thr- things in a row. There's the yeah. cover showing uh, Dread, Tharg, and Johnny Alpha all loaded for bear. Then there's a super sweet pinup of uh, ABC Warrior Deadlock complete with Techno Scythe. And uh, then after the table of contents, there's a photo feature on the space shuttle. and Which is... Very specific. I didn't know. I don't. There's a lot of things I learned about spacecraft. It's got yeah. It's got a height and le- it's 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 got its dimensions in meters down to the hundredth place, which is pretty crazy. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I kind of like the like the space shuttle stuff's kind of interesting to me, just because of um like you know it's this historic moon thing that basically takes place completely within the borders of 2000 AD like you know it it came in before 2000 it, like 2000 AD was before the space shuttle and after the space shuttle program ended 2000 AD was still there so it's kind of fun well i mean the one thing that i liked the most about that spread was that the people who made the main propulsion engines the company was called rocketdyne yeah which like <laughs> That's pretty great. That's like a stone's throw away from Cyberdyne. So I'm I'm pretty happy about I mean, you know, companies some, that make rockets. <laughs> sometimes you got to pick the name for the job you want, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyhow. It's highly specific. Yeah. Hey, speaking of uh, traveling into outer space, Fox. Thrill One, Night of the Blood Freaks. Oh, that's a lot of text. But yeah. it is strong team dogs. Yeah. We're dumped straight into a short story at the start of the annual. There's a lot of short stories in this annual. Um, as well as long legacy comics that make me wonder if this one was just like a rush job. Like, there's a lot of stuff that sort of didn't have a lot of heavy art requirements. Um, in this annual in general, there's a lot of reprints. Yeah, of like, like, reprinted like, art. 
yeah, of like art that we've definitely seen in other parts, in other progs and things like that. So it sort of seems like this was one that, se- that kind of went out the door real fast, just sort of a lot of typing and a lot of uh, reprinting stuff. Um, anyhow, uh, in this one, we sort of start with, uh, some standard anti-mutant racism from, as Johnny and Wolf investigate the death of, the deaths of several other strontium dogs. The trail. Apparently, le- you just flash your strontium dog ID card and everyone just fucks right off. So. Yeah, because it seems like the big, um, thing is just that, like, all the rules are no muti- are no mutants allowed, you know? Like, get out of yeah. here, muty. But when you show the Strontium Dog badge, you sort of it shows that you have a right to be there. So the reason they're hassling you for it sort of evaporates, basically. Yeah. Um, but the trail leads them to a particular freak show on a planet w- where off-season circuses spend their downtime. Um, <sighs> the boys are taken captive by an evil mutant named Triclops, who which cool name, <laughs> pretty cool. They don't show them to us though. Um, but yeah. <laughs> He and a couple other guys were escaped convicts who need to change their identities. So they had like a, a mad scientist perform an operation, but it ended up turning them to mutants. And now they need the blood of mutants to sustain them. Uh, which gross. Yeah, super gross. Uh, Johnny ends up winning by using the razor sharp uh, button on the top button of his strontium dog jacket to cut himself <laughs> loose. And uh. Then Wolf smashes open the head of the Triclops using his happy stick. This is a decent, really fast-paced story. Not enough time stuff for a Strontium Dog story, I think. Like, the only thing they really did was they uh, there was an informant that was about to be assassinated, so they put a time droog on him to warp him 24 hours into the future so that um, he'd be safe, you know? And every so often they had capital letters like, Killer Squad and the Evil Triclops and Feast of Blood and Sea of Evil. Yeah, I mean, that's just sort of how you tell these stories. You know, you got to have the big signpost um, section headings, you know? (laughs) Just in case you just want to skim through and not really give a fuck. Hey, be cool, buddy. Um, (laughs) Feast of Blood was great, but the following wasn't. Hey, speaking of um, perhaps skimming through... Oh my god. Thrill to special effects in sci-fi movies and ten ways to destroy the world. I weirdly learned a lot about special effects. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff in this sci-fi special effects um, ep- um thing. It's pretty in-depth of and just sort of goes into a, a couple different um, effects. This is one, this is a story that, 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 that feels kind of dated when they talk about special effects. Um, partially because just because it's written in 1980 when they give examples of special effects it's like both uh star wars dogfights and like robbie the robot from Mm. forbidden planet and stuff yeah um but so the effects covered are uh, makeup and costumes stop motion animation matte processes cartoon live action miniatures full-scale mock-ups and the shuffton process so I didn't know what the shuffton process was. Me so the rest of these, it's like I learned. I already knew about this, especially cartoon live action. Like you basically watch anything from Disney, like nineteen seventy to like nineteen ninety. All their live action. Yeah, stuff you're, you're kind of your Forbidden Planet or your Mary Poppins or something like that. Exactly, but the shuffton process explains some shit about like Superman that I just didn't know. Yeah, um, the, 
Interestingly, according to Wikipedia, it's misspelled here. It should be like the Schuften process with like an umlaut mm. over the U's and stuff. But yeah, it's one of these things that sort of dates back to Metropolis, like the earliest of sci-fi yeah. movies. And it's just and a Metropolis way- is awesome. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's it's a way of sort of treating glass and mirrored areas to make people um, in the like basically as a part of matte paintings and stuff, just to sort of make people appear big in front of like big backgrounds and stuff. You know, yeah. it's one of these ones. It's it, like this process and a couple other ones are ones that have sort of get like we, we used way less these days, just as CGI and green screens and stuff become uh, oh. a bigger deal. But like, I, um, according to Wikipedia, like the Schuften process was last really used by like Peter Jackson in the Lord of the Rings movies and stuff like that. Bring miniatures back, goddammit. Hey, why not? Um, after that, there's an enumerated list from the Mekon of ways to destroy the Earth. They aren't Which is <laughs> highly specific to science events happening that would kill us. Definitely. The being the dumbest. Well, yeah, it's funny because almost all of them require being able to... You, you being able to throw just a ton of energy around because a lot of yeah. it's like move the earth closer to this or move the moon closer to the earth or change the earth's orbit by a couple you know degrees or make it make the earth tilt less or something like that which is like yeah sure that could destroy the earth like that's like a massive undertaking you know but of course, the easiest of them all, just leave man to his own devices while we make a political statement about nuclear weapons. Womp womp. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, you know, humanity's always about to destroy itself, Fox, as we, or alternately save itself, as we see in Thrill 3, The Mumps from Beyond the Moon. If this is what the mumps looked like, I'm terrified. It's not. Um... <laughs> <laughs> the script robot is Alan Grant writing as Staccato. The art robot's Robin Smith. The lettering robot's Jack Potter. So, it's 2500 AD, and humanity is swiftly dying from a deadly space disease that makes you just get covered in huge, like, lesions and stuff. And it's, oh, it's super gross. Yeah, you look like bubble wrap, but for skin. Exactly. <laughs> Jesus. Um... There's no time for a cure to work on a cure now, but if a computer started working on the cure hundreds of years ago, it would have plenty of time to cure the disease. So, top official Bob is sent back in time to begin this process. Uh, my favorite part before Bob goes back in time is that the the government official who sends him back is like leaving the office and then one of the undertaker robots is like hey man you're basically dying so come with me and let's just murder you anyway and he's like get the get away from me i'm not dead yet i love these undertaker droids they all have like top hats and instant cremation boxes that they carry around with them it's pretty grim um yeah but so uh, Bob arrives in 1980, but the gene machine computer is going to take some time to warm up. So he goes shopping for entertainment. He ends and what up. What does he buy? Well, he ends up at the Forbidden Planet comic book shop and buys an armload of 2000 AD comics, much to the delight of one of the shop owners, who, based on a, my internet searching, is um, Nick Luckman, uh, Forbidden Planet uh, co-owner. Mm. Um. Anyhow, Bob spends all night reading 2000 AD and becomes exhausted from a thrill power overload, which causes him to accidentally feed in a couple progs into the gene machine instead of the data tape to cure everybody. Um, everything seems to have worked out, uh, however, so they head back to the future. When they arrive, 
It appears that the human genes are resistant to the plague, but... Oh, and Bob's a hero, but by feeding the comics in, there's an unintended side effect. Now everybody is a Thargian! Borag Thung indeed! Awesome! Got a whole bunch of great ones. Just a whole, yeah, just everybody is a Thar guy walking around. Rosetta's serious. I like how, but also they're wearing, um, like Bob's a hero shirts, which yeah. is kind of cool. Like, it's one guy's just a Thar guy with a big smiling Bob face on his chest. It's excellent. Yeah, I, I mean, hey, sometimes you're just a hero by a weird accident, I guess. Hey, you know, it's a puzzle to everybody. Hey, speaking of puzzles, Fox. Oh. Oh, God. Thrill 4, the Mighty Tharg's Cosmic Puzzle Pages. It's puzzle time! There's just sort of some stuff to do if you get this comic and it's Christmas and you're bored on holiday or whatever. Um, There's some astral anagrams. There's a who wrote it quiz and a cosmic chain word. Um, I don't get the chain word thing, like doesn't all make a word right it's just a crossword done easy it's like a spiral so like you put you answer the first question and mm. then the, the second question is gonna start with the last letter of the first answer uh, I see, I see. and then end with the first letter of the next answer you know all right um but yeah a little hint yeah exactly yeah the the who wrote it is kind of weird because it includes both like the novelization of alien and the script for star wars but whatever i guess yeah, these puzzles are fairly laughable. <laughs> hey, speaking of laughing, Fox. <laughs> Thrill 5, Rojaws and Hammerstein's mini-annual. Woo! Woo! Rojaws and Hammerstein. Now, this was awesome. So, yeah, so it's uh, time for a letter section in the middle of the annual, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but at least it's starring our favorite robots. Absolutely. Yeah, this one starts with a neat parody of the cover of this annual with the Robuster Boys in it and with a Harold Quartz in it too, which is I I, I thought was pretty awesome. Yeah. And then there's a couple like one or two sort of new um Robuster pieces, art art pieces in here as well. But mostly it's just letters and fan art from um readers there's Kids a, drawing cool stuff. Yeah, there's some pretty cool stuff in here. I like there's a good Rojas and Hammerstein picture by uh, David Eaves of Flixton. And then a Mechquake mm. picture by Martin Marsh of Hawkwold, which is which also is pretty good. Which is the best thing ever. You are the best. These are both pretty good, just like kid drawings. Like they definitely aren't, tr- like they're sort of drawing from a source, but they definitely aren't traced. And I appreciate that. And this is not the last time that we will see Mechquake in this comic book. Big jobs! Speaking of big jobs, Thrill Six Robusters. Woo! Script robot for Robusters is Chris Stevens, art robots Dave Harwood, lettering robot Peter Knight. It's Los Angeles in 2180, which isn't the right time frame, but don't worry about it. And then, holy <laughs> crap, there's a huge earthquake. And I guess it turned the streets into tidal waves? What? Well, that's, you know, it's it's Los Angeles, so Rojas and Hammerstein sort of um, come flying in from the from the coast, uh, surfing on the, on the waves on a, on a cool motorboat. Yep. 
So they arrive in the scene. Lots of people have survived. There's a, still some survivors. Rojas and Hammerstein busy themselves helping them out. Along the way, they um, bump into Lucifer, who is a war droid and basically the same model as Hammerstein and still has like the old head and stuff. But he's like a country road, um, war droid. So he's got like, a southern accent and things like that. And spoilers, nothing. He's not evil. Mm-mm. Like I, I was really holding out like the name something bad. No, he's just he's just a southern robot named Lucifer. I mean, you know, he's a war droid, so you kind of get like sort of violent names when you sort of are in the war, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anyway, so, so they save him from being buried and then outfit him with a scavenged new leg. And the trio, yeah, and the trio just kind of continues their duty as they they save some old ladies via Lucifer's sweet lassoing skills, and then. <laughs> There's just some uh, like general saving people montages, complete with cameos from Doctor Feely Good and uh, Mechquake, which is always awesome. Hell yeah, big jobs, big jobs, always the big jobs. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then also there's Rojas saving a dude from being eaten alive by rats in the sewers, which is always nice too. At the end of the day, the team debriefs with Harold Quartz, who threatens to repossess Lucifer's salvaged legs. Or to repossess Lucifer's salvaged leg until one of the old ladies that they lassoed shows up. And it's Quartz's great aunt Lizzie. After telling them off, our heroes and their new human pals walk off arm in arm after Lucifer hog ties Quartz on the ground, of course. Yep, for some nice needed time off. Exactly. Yeah, man. Always good to have robots, dude. Big robot section here in the middle of the uh, of the annual, which takes us to Thrill Seven Rojas Robofacts. Oh God. So, like, whatever. There are seven facts. Fact three. What I like the most about is like they talk about Isaac Asimov's three laws, mm-hmm. but at the very bottom of it, they're like, ah, oh, they don't always work, though. Yeah. So... Listen <laughs> again. Yeah, we've. I, I know we've talked about this multiple times, but those robots are, those rules are only really, you, you can only count on those rules if you're in a story written by Isaac Asimov. Otherwise, um, all bets are off. But I do like fact seven. Be nice to robots. We'll be nice to you. Super I think easy that's fair. Yeah. I also yeah. like how fact one, um, is the robots are, is the word robot means slave thing that they do that, uh, gets mentioned in that, um, mm. movie, uh, World's End, you know? Yeah, yeah. Which, and yeah, speaking of robot stories, we go to uh, Thrill 8, Human on My Back. This is kind of neat, at least it's, how it ended. Yeah, it's a, it's a short story. Um, it's, 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 it's in the character of Rojas telling a, uh, a uh, bedtime story to a bunch of like kid robots, which is, which is weird. <laughs> Just that, 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 that there are kid robots, I guess. I mean, maybe they're fresh off the assembly line or something. Could be. But so basically, um, this story is kind of weird. It's about a jerk named Felix who buys an old war robot named Benji and then uses Benji to intimidate people into paying a toll of a river ford. But Which, what? Yeah. It all turns out okay, though, because eventually Benji gets stuck underwater and drowns and grabs onto Felix as he does, so both Benji and Felix die. Um, yeah, there's some hand-waving about how that happens and how... Felix basically instructed it, but didn't mean to, and whatever. The guy died, and it was awesome. Yeah. Moral of the story, don't use robots to be a jerk. Yeah. Pretty easy. Yeah. So, let's go quickly. One last robot feature with Thrill 9 ABC Warriors. 
don't get your hopes up. It's not a nah. comic. No, it's just a quick like um, pinup of the ABC Warriors. That that's very cool. And then mm-hmm. an ABC Warriors data file, just breaking down who the Magnificent Seven are and what their abilities and stuff are. I'm a big fan of the one for General Blackblood that says that his favorite weapon is treachery. <laughs> Dude, Joe Pineapples all the way. A one. Yeah, definitely. He's the best sniper in the fucking world. You gotta know this. He's such such a good sniper that his favorite weapon is a bazooka. <laughs> hey, man! Nothing says I've sniped you like a giant explosion. No, it's a, it's a good. That's a that's a telling detail. I like that. <laughs> Speaking of guys using different weapons for different jobs, Fox. Oh God! Thrill Ten, the man from two thousand. Uh, hey, look some weird alien stuff yep uh script robot here is ola stepanek art robots dave hein lettering robot is date is steve potter so okay <laughs> soldier dudes from all over time are disappearing a greek dude from 1000 bc a roman dude from 1 bc a viking dude from 1000 a.d and a future trooper dude from 2080 hey look every thousand years Yep. That's weird. Exactly. All appear in an alien arena. They're supposed to fight to the death, but the future dude sees through this plot and convinces his fellow warriors to make peace. Luckily, they can all speak the same language. And because <laughs> they stop fighting, the aliens aren't, 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 sorry, the aliens are pretty pissed about this, so they summon a bunch of crazy dino monsters from 1 million BC <laughs> to attack them. Great. So everyone get into a phalanx and let's yeah. deal with this problem. Exactly. Yeah, the humans team up to fight the monsters, and the future guy manages to shoot the right wall to expose the alien observers. This causes the aliens to be attacked by their own dino monsters. And as a result, the aliens return all the time travelers to their respective homes. All is well that ends well, except for the man from 2000 AD, who is now on a charge for being late to roll call because of all this time travel. Boy, Conrad, this story sure sounds like another story that we've seen similar by the name Blackhawk. What could happen after this story? Um. <laughs> wow, buddy. It's not, it's not that bad. But anyhow. <laughs> Thrill 11, Blackhawk. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, not, it's like, so Ursa and Zog little cartoon lit well not even that it's just an old picture with yeah. some info about them mm-hmm. and then a sh- i a short story but yeah the, the, it's a blackhawk short story about blackhawk fighting a sea guy but like the picture for it doesn't even have blackhawk in it dude which is rough um well no we've seen this image before this is like uh i remember us talking about this no this is like some kind of armor this, that th- this guy's different from the war from that warrior of the future guy it's a different art really? thing. Yeah, definitely. I feel like we've seen this picture. It looks it looks v- very similar. I definitely agree with that. Okay. I um, trust you. You have a memory. Yeah, we just did I just put that episode out actually just to give everybody a look behind the curtain about when we're recording these versus when they're coming out. But anyhow, um <laughs> There's what it's, we are absolutely whatever anyway every time you listen to this podcast it's it's completely live anyhow um (laughs) so this is this is a short story where blackhawk is back in the space arena and he's got to fight a sea warrior named crocodile but with like k's uh blackhawk has to fight wearing a heavy diving suit 
because he's got to take out this underwater warrior. You know, Crocodile's got a trident and everything. Only the timely intervention of a school of daggerfish allow Blackhawk to defeat his foe. Um, though, as usual, these sorts of stories, winning is actually a mercy, as Crocodile is like a, a, war, a slave warrior and doesn't want to be there in the first place, not unlike hey. Blackhawk himself. He was stranded on the planet with no other fucking intelligent life forms and whatever. He saw this as an opportunity to get out of there or die, which, all right. Yeah. Hey, fuck, speaking of wanting to get out of there and die. Um... <laughs> <laughs> or just die in general. Just fucking kill me slowly. Thrill 12, giddy pig. This may be the most useless story. This one's this this Oof. this made me so upset. This story was the stupidest thing in this comic book. Yeah. I don't mind telling everyone now. I hated it. So the art robot for this one's Brian Lewis, and yeah, so test subject Mike Lane. He's this guy. He does experiment things, I guess. <laughs> this time he's uh, piloting this plane called the Kangaroo. It's a saucer-shaped plane that can do vertical takeoff and landing, plus it's got boat functionality, so it can float and stuff. Um, I don't know why you call it a kangaroo, because kangaroos can't float, but anyhow... Um, it doesn't even jump or hop, it's just, well, it just goes up and I mean, down. Yeah, it's, I mean, I feel like vertical takeoff and landing could be justify a kangaroo name, but that doesn't matter. Um... Anyhow, Mike's going out to test fly it. Things go okay until the craft loses all power just as a mysterious helicopter flies over them. The helicopter orders the kangaroo to boat over to a nearby enemy ship to be taken hostage. Instead, Mike pilots the kangaroo under this helicopter and then VTOLs straight up into it, causing yeah, the helicopter to it. crash. Yep, boops it. It crashes. They- <laughs> They pick up the uh, the crew from the helicopter and have them sit on top of the kangaroo as they fly back to base where they're interrogated. And then, as a final screw you, they fly those captured dudes off to the uh, foreign ship that they was going to hijack them, drops them off, and it's just like, hey, we found your dudes. Have a nice day. And that's the story. That's it. The end of guinea pig. Like, this was pointless. It's just basically point like... This is, I f- there must have been a bunch of guinea pig stories, and this is such a weird one to reprint after previous ones where you had, like, he'd gone to the moon and then fought that squid, mo- that alien yeah. monster that, like, turned into an office park. Or the underwater one. With the giant squid. Least- yeah. yeah. Or, like, the big, the, the giant gorilla that had, like, also yeah. escaped convicts and stuff. All those were neat. Man, this one is, like, it's barely even a story. It's just, like... <laughs> I guess. It's just like, oh, we lost some power. Boop. Problem solved. Yeah. Plus, okay. Cheers, everyone. And the final page only takes up half the page, and there's a picture of Judge Dredd underneath. It's the picture of Judge Dredd from the cover of this annual, I'll mention. But, um... <laughs> It's really, also really getting their stretch here. It's also Judge Dredd talking a ton of smack, sort of sarcastically. Like so Mike so the guinea pig Mike Lane solves another case, but I wondered how he'd feel against some real two thousand AD villains. He does the lead in for us, oh snap. Real <laughs> thirteen two thousand AD Hall of Villains. Which it's kind of like, hey, remember all those cool villains? Yeah. I, do. I mean, this page looks neat just because it's like all black and red and yeah. stuff, and it's kind of that fun. That is true, and it's fun to reminisce about some of these old guys. Like there's Alien um, Catcher General, 
Alien Catcher General is so awesome. Uh, there's Rico, Mutie the Pig, and Fergie, or, and the Cleggs from a Judge Dredd. Then we got, uh, the Snappers, and the Shepherd, and the Living Axe, um, and the, and the, uh, and the Mekon, and the Sletha from, yes. um, Dan Dare. Battle Action Playset, the Sletha, the ones that were pilgrims, that were actually worms, that sucked out people's brains. It was fucking, that was a good time. The Snappers was also from that. The Snappers was also from Battle Action Playset, where That's um, right. where they went underwater and they used the underwater vehicles available now from your local toy store, <laughs> and they found. That's right. And they found one race of people, and basically, just on their word, Dan Dare <laughs> genocided a different alien race. They're just like, these guys are really fucking things up for us. Can you help us? And he's like, dude, no problem. Let's we'll kill, kill them all. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why we'll the travel. fuck not? That was when Dandare traveled deep down into the high-pressure bottom of the sea, and all of his clothes were destroyed except for his helmet. Oh, my God. <laughs> Remember when Dandare was good? Ah, uh, it's so... That, that small period. So Sergeant sad. Park. Oh, Kark, also there's Sar- yeah, there's also Sergeant Kark from Strontium Dog, who's also excellent from that Woolrog um, story. God, those were the days. Pretty good memories in this um, annual, I gotta say. But speaking of things that are perhaps less awesome, Fox. Uh, <laughs> Thrill fourteen duel in the dunes. No, you know what is cool about this? The mm. fact that it's black, white, and red. It's That's yeah, cool. It's the central part of the manual where they have like one color to add on. Script robot for this one's Ola Stepanuk. Art robot's Rob Moran. Lettering robot is the Aldrich Mark, Mark II. So there's some dude, Kane. He wakes up in an infinite sand dune and is attacked by a knight on a horse. He barely survives until a machine gun suddenly appears. He grabs the weapon and guns down the knight and his charger. But mind you, this is after he takes a like fully swung mace, like a ball and chain mace, to his chin. It's pretty. Yeah, there's some pretty awesome uh, future dude versus night dude um, fighting going on here. Yep. Um, but then another knight appears as Kane sees a plaque saying that he'll be without a weapon for ten minutes. Uh, this causes him to stall as he sort of hides from this giant night dude attacking him. And eventually, another weapon appears. It's a grenade! He blows up the knight, who turns out to be an android. So they say android, but he's clearly a robot. I mean, man, I I don't, um... They called it out in this. Androids are chemical-based. Don't worry about it too much, buddy. God damn it. The problem, listen, all right, part of human privilege is not having to differentiate between androids and robots in fiction and storytelling. Fair, whatever, fair. (laughs) Um, Fucking robot. So, Kane wanders the (laughs) desert, eventually reaching an invisible wall. He continues to fight. A horde of knights appears, as does a handy one-man tank. Kane eventually triumphs by blowing up the tank, but then he realizes that he's an android too. We pull out to see that all of this is basically just a video game that a future son and a future, and a future father are playing when they're called for dinner by a leotard-clad future mom. Yes, yeah, super hot mom. <laughs> it's hard out there for these video game characters, Fox. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, robo-battle. Yeah, it's a very... 
By the way, the name of the game is Robo Battle. Fucking Android. <laughs> hey, no. man, he self-identifies as an Android. Don't uh, don't shame him. That's, that's fair. <laughs> All right. But um, anyhow, yeah. So Tharg kind of ends this one by, by asking us what we think of the game of the future. And speaking of Tharg, Thrill Fifteen, the being from Beetlejuice Six, the retreat from Volgao. And a Thargian vocabulary. That's pretty cool stuff. Kind of. Yeah, we start here with like some general Tharg facts. Um, It's mostly just the same Tharg stuff we've always, (laughs) we've always, we have always seen. Though I think. He's from Beetlejuice. Now he's on Earth. He eats plastic. He's God mode 100% of the time. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is, this might be where we learn that Tharg occasionally sheds his skin, which causes him to change his look every now and then. I feel like this is the first time we've heard this, heard that, but I can't be sure. Yeah, and he's just kind of like, man, you don't hear me asking why you change your clothes. Yeah, chill out, buddy. I'm, I'm an alien. What, what can I tell you? Um, <laughs> n- next up is a pretty awesome, I thought, short story about the yeah. Volgon Back 94. Who This is, was good prose. Yeah, definitely. It, he's involved in the retreat from Volgao, which we saw from the ABC Warriors side in Progs 120 and 121. And I think this story is really awesome. It's very, like, bleak and melancholy. It's about... Which, yeah. Yeah, it's about... back the scheme. Definitely, yeah. It's about him being, like, a, a, a baker droid that got press-ganged into joining the Volgon military. Despite and everyone liked his cakes. Yeah, he just wanted to make cakes for the nice people, dude. Um, yeah, it's dis- despite him being like scrawny and cowardly and stuff, it's really super bleak. Um, yeah. But also really does a good job of being really like evocative of like sort of, you know, just like a uh, like a, a World War II soldier like going t- to Stalingrad or something like that. Of just like It really is. Like he's cold and he's tired and he hates what he's doing and he just wanted to live a peaceful life. But forces beyond his control have caused him to be stuck in this unwinnable situation. I, I mean, and I rarely say this, but these are prose that are worth reading, even if it is just like, uh, pick a character on this picture and write about them. Yeah, definitely. At least the story's not garbage. Yeah, there's really great parts, like, like they talk about, like, the press gangs, and he, mm. and Bake94 says, like, I'm happy as a baker droid, I'm not programmed for war, I do not wish to fight. The grabber sneered, from now on, they said with contempt, Volgao needs even cowards. Which and I it's, thought it's was interesting. Dope. Yeah, they they really like try to push on him that he's some kind of coward. Yet, like in the story itself, he doesn't like cry out. He doesn't scream. He just accepts it. Yeah. He does what he's supposed to, even though he hates it. Yeah, he, he's resigned to his fate, and it's just a really it's a really neat story for just sort of two pages of um for just two pages of uh, of of text, you know. Yeah, complete agree. Yeah. Next up is a Thargian vocabulary, a list of Tharg phrases. There's a bunch of stuff we always say, and a couple that are just made up for here, like uh, Thraganupal Quay Quam Qualis Stalk, which means, uh, cripes, I'm annoyed. Cripes. Um, there's also Tharg's favorite recipe, which looks fun, but is basically two-thirds sci-fi ingredients, so we can't try to make it. Yeah, I mean, it's also plastic as fucking baked at 4,000 degrees centigrade. So, yeah. Don't worry about it being too realistic. Speaking of things that are, aren't too realistic, uh, Fox. God, shoot me. Thrill 16, Smoke Man. 
Also known as alien UFO whatever. Yeah. Despite this uh, this being called Smoke Man, this is, is in fact another episode of UFO Agents. Though this one seems to be several ye- po- like made several years after the last UFO Agent story we saw. The art style has changed tremendously. They use this. So- Oh, good. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. They just use this art, this uh, ink thing that has a lot that allows for really like intricate and actually pretty nice shading of things. The problem is that there's not very much motion to it. Um, Mm -hmm. so that everything looks really static. Like there's an, uh, there's a picture in the opening of it where you see the two UFO agents surfing, but it looks like a statue of two dudes surfing instead of (laughs) two dudes actually moving on the water. Or, or it, it, it does to me at least. There's just not a lot of like, of like movement despite there being like sort of action going on in this comic, you know? Well, they're not, they're not using like movement lines or anything like that, right? Exactly. Here's the thing. Like UFO hunters or whatever the fuck agents. Agents. Like what I what I liked about it when it first showed up was that it was fucking completely off the wall. It was short, mm-hmm. like fucking really short, and it was stupid. But it, at least it was to the point. We've got these magic sticks. We do weird shit, yeah. and then it's over with. This takes like four billion pages. Yeah. To be like a guy who has some technology does a caper yeah. is basically a thief the end yeah definitely yeah this uh, is it's such a weird comic because like i said not just the art style has changed but these guys have gotten a bunch of new powers since the last time we saw them because they used to they used to have like wands that let them like fly and zap people and stuff but now one guy can turn his body into smoke and one guy can like make bubbles for something yeah talking to people or some shit yeah but the comic starts with the Aliens from the UFO that like gave them their UFO powers basically showing up, taking those powers away from them in a way that can be worked reliably, taking away their UFO, and basically just dropping them off outside of London to drive in a car to their new job as like police detectives in the industrial town of Bedminster. It feels like they Bellminster. were passing this comic off to like some like it sales had dipped or some shit and they're just like ah detective comics are like the thing now so let's make them detectives absolutely this is sort of this is basically the equivalent of how black how when black hawk came to 2000 ad he got abducted by aliens instead of it being about ancient rome the way it was in tornado because mm. um, yeah they just basically rebranded these guys from being ufo sci-fi superheroes to being like cops i guess yeah and um, not even like interesting cops and yeah no one likes them because they're the new guys on the force and also, like, whatever. They got to yeah. prove themselves. God, it's boring. So, yeah, basically they show up. They're late for showing up. So they get yelled at by their boss. Um, they're walking around on patrol. They spot a mysterious guy running someplace and they give chase. The guy who's running has awesome physical abilities and the agents try to use their powers to chase them. But the aliens have made their powers unreliable. So they mess up. So they fail and then look, look like jerks. Their boss who always catches them. In sort of embarrassing situations, this structure happens six times um, <laughs> as the running man goes from being a mystery to an actual thief and eventually tries to kill the agents. Eventually, though, they're able to trap the culprit. And, yeah, you know, just turns out to be a poorly explained remote control robot. Hooray! We, the story is now over. The UFO agents, I guess, are going to be rebranded the Ghost Squad, but that's not our problem. We'll never see them again. Thank <laughs> god (laughs) hey speaking of something that's a bit more interesting fox 
Absolutely. Oh, God. Now we're at my favorite part. Yeah. Let's go to uh, Thrill 17, Tharg's Guide to How 2000 AD is Produced. Oh, this was actually, like, really cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, so this is just sort of a step-by-step guide of the production of, like, a Prague of 2000 AD. It's using the basis of the Father Earth story from Prague 121. But mm-hmm. it sort of follows the story from, like, John Wagner's script to Brian Ballin's art. And he does both the uh, the pencils and the inks, uh, which is, is, a, is often a segregated job in American comics. And then uh, yeah. Tom Frame writes... All the uh, all the words and letters that appear in the comic on just like a sheet of paper, and then my boy. he cuts that sheet of paper out and glues it onto the page, which is crazy. Yeah, like I, I don't know. It's the I mean, the detail that they go into on how they actually like create it, and yeah, there's like these little tiny comic portions where you see them like talking to each other or whatever but they they go from the actual script mm-hmm. that they show to the sketch to the actual art to the like framing letter job which yeah it's really it's fascinating it's, well it's definitely neat and a, and a great way to see sort of how these come you know it's easy to for, to not realize how these things are made and i know especially for me the word bubble stuff was a big deal just because yeah. i'd never really thought about how all that stuff had been done up until this point i guess which is maybe me just being sort of uh taking things for granted or you know just living in a world with computers so you so i assume you do you know you photoshop it in or something like that but before photoshop it means that these pages were like arts and craft pieces with like taped on word bubbles and white out like tails of the word balloons and stuff it's interesting stuff i um, i mean tom frame's a badass that's all i gotta say man good work man i can't stress enough how important how like tom frame is the bedrock of 2000 ad he he start <laughs> he starts in prog 4 he retires in Prague 1488. Oh my god. <laughs> and just just like to keep a I don't have the running tally but it, it, I saw it somewhere out there. He basically is the guy who letters judge No, Dredd. yeah, he he definitely letters every judge. Yeah, he's definitely got at least he he letters at least one thing in every Prague and he always letters judge dread. It, like it just stands to reason that the man's very good at his job. Definitely. Um Hey, speaking of something that's, oh, God, just uh, way less of everything. I mean, do, do we have to? <laughs> I'm just going to do it real quick. It's a th- right. Thrill 18. Bang, bang, said the green cheese man. Uh, Holy crap. Yep. So this is an eight-page story with three columns of tightly packed text per page, and it is a monster. But basically, Harlan Ellis is a salesman. A rich guy asks him to ask, uh, a rich guy has inherited from his father. He wants to sell off one of his least profitable things. It's the moon. Ellis goes to the moon. It's run down and shabby. He gets kidnapped by some moon revolutionaries. Um, their leader is a cyborg guy named Devo, and he's got a band of cyborgs that he calls his clan with a K, which is real uncomfortable. Anyhow. <laughs> He convinces Ellis to assassinate the rich guy uh, who's named Janice. Ellis goes back to Earth and is about to assassinate J- uh, Janice when instead he assassinates um, Devo instead. Uh. But it turns out that Devo is in fact Janice's brother. What a twist! Uh. And this was basically that these two things were schemed by either brother to try to take the other out for get 
total control of the moon. In the end, it's revealed that all of this is... El, but now Els knows too much, and we reveal that he's been telling this story as his final confession as he sits in the electric chair about to be executed, and then he's executed. The end. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, guys, we need to fill some pages. And, like, all right, so I know we got some shit for this before, and I just want to go on record saying this. I love books. I yeah. buy books so that I can read books. Do you know what I do when I get a comic book? I don't you, uh, you want read pictures. Yeah, it's effectively a giant fucking newspaper of like a story that I that's not even about the shit that I that I even care about. Like I at sw- least yeah. Strontium Dog, it was about Strontium Dog. Yeah, these especially these just random sci-fi uh, um, stories are rough. This one is just it's told in like this kind of noir way that just ta- mm. chases its tail so much. Like just everything is a long-tailed metaphor. It just goes back around with everything with needless description and stuff. It's just punishing to read. It really is. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Hey, speaking of um characters that we might not be super interested <laughs> in, Fox. <laughs> Thrill 19 Star-Lord. And that's it. It's just a quick, a quick pinup of Star Lord. Though I like the the uh, the text box that basically just wraps up the Star Lord storyline. Um, mm-hmm. His enemy, the Interstellar Fed, the Interstellar Federation, is no longer after him. So Star Lord's free to go to a different planet to try to protect it. So kids, stop sending us letters asking what's up with Star Lord. We've resolved it. <laughs> yeah, it's sweet cape and all. He's out of here. Mm-hmm. He never showed up, really, right? Like as a co-presenter. I mean, he did one or two things. I think he present. He was like the host for that um, pull-out thing that was, mm, um, yeah, the Big Book of Aliens and stuff. He's been there once or twice, but honestly, you know, he sort of di- he sort of stayed with Star Lord, you know. Yeah, and we've definitely seen more of him than we've seen of a uh, Big E, the superhero guy from um, from Tornado, who you don't even know. Yeah, it's easy to not know who he is. <laughs> I, uh, I don't. I mean, I'm sorry, Tornado fans. I have no fucking idea who that is. Hey, speaking of characters, we might know a little bit better, Fox. Ooh. Thrill 20, Judge Dredd. <laughs> this, this is good. Yeah. Uh, script robot here is Alan Grant, writing as A.A. Grant. Art robot's Brett Ewing. Letting robot is Tom Frame. Tom Frame? Oh, Going yeah. bananas for Tom Frame. <laughs> so this is the case of the urban gorillas. As, um, at the Mickey Dolan's block, and yes, Mickey Dolan's was one of the monkeys, Fox. Um, <laughs> the citizens' defense group is meeting to train in hand-to-hand combat, gun shooting, and all kinds of other stuff until they're attacked. <laughs> Definitely this granny wrestling with like fishnets and stuff. I don't yeah, know. It's very awkward <laughs> until they're attacked by paramilitary ape men they're gorilla gorillas if you will um yeah complete with like communist hats they're definitely like this is very like sort of 1980s terrorism take this plane to cuba sort of stuff um they call humans skin faces which seems confusing and they start <laughs> taking hostages and claim control of the city block in recompense for the horrors done in the creation of the ape men and their current uh, living conditions basically just living in like a ghetto like second class citizens which so i guess they are cuz they're ape men i don't know yeah so what i find admirable about this is that judge dread is very like 
actually even-handed on this. He's like, what we did to them and what is currently going on, abhorrent. How they're handling it, completely against the law, and no one does that shit in my town. And so I am off to go and deal with their problem. Def- yeah, he's not against all apes. He's just against these like terrorist apes, basically. Yeah. He um, sympathizes, but don't break the law, asshole. Yeah. So the ground floors of the Mickey Dolan's block are too well defended to get through. So Dredd calls in a bunch of judges on hover bikes that come flying in. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then two of them explode. Well, yeah, because the apes have like heavy guns from the city defense force um, armory and stuff. But I just want to say that um, suddenly those uh, hover bikes in the Sylvester Stallone Judge Dredd movie are now fully canon, which I think is interesting. Oh, yeah. But it's pretty cool. Unfortunately, yeah, after the bikes are shot, also the, um, the gorilla, the, the gorilla gorillas throw a bunch of hostages from the roof of the Mickey Dolan's block and splatter them, which is pretty rough. That was kind of my favorite part of this comic book. So they're falling and Judge Dredd's like, ah, crap. They threw some hostages off. Hey, Judge Bocking, watch out. And then he dodges out of the way and he's like, hey, thanks, JD. That hostage almost hit me. (laughs) He almost killed me. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like oh whatever so um the hover bikes call, or uh, they're also called zippers don't work so dread has a new yeah. plan he drives his lawmaster to a nearby building that's taller than the mickey dolan's block and rides from one roof to another i love the exchange here also she's like uh so you and the bike going to the same floor judge all oh. the way up citizen <laughs> um so stupid on the on the new building, he rides through the Mickey Dolan's block, uh, just killing every APCs from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. Oh man! <laughs> he captures the group's leader and says that that this guy won't have to worry about the eight man housing problem anymore because he's getting the death penalty. Which I mean, he has killed quite a few people, but. They say that, yeah, they've, like, when Judge Dredd arrived, they've already killed 50 hostages, and they threw a bunch of dudes off that roof. Like, you know. Also, I guess it's death penalty, but I thought there wasn't a death penalty in yeah. Mega City 1. I mean, honestly, like, the canonical value, despite what I said about the Judge Dredd movie, the canonical value of all these annuals is highly questionable. Um, but Dredd out. does totally, like, just shoot the hell out of a bunch of apes. Like... Uh, yeah, indiscriminate. This is, this is the this is like the the most violence we've seen in a. Oh, I should also mention that this whole comic's full color, and this is the most violence we've seen in a full color comic like ever in 2000 AD. I think. Oh yeah, probably because they're apes. Yeah, maybe maybe you could count that that time Satanus was on the church tower with like all the blood and dudes oh, coming out awesome. of his mouth. Yeah, but, he was like swinging him around on a chain yeah, and shit. But that, that was, was more funny. that was more the aftermath of violence than actual dudes getting shot in the chest, you know. So cool though. Totally. Hey, Fox. Uh, Speaking of the death penalty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh man, Thrill Twenty One Phantom Patrol. God, put me on ice and thaw me out when this is over with. Doing it real quick. Art Robots, Jerry Embleton. Okay, so Phantom Patrol. They're World War II guys. They have a time machine on a lark. They've gone back as far as possible, so they're in the goddamn Ice Age. After a misunderstanding with some cavemen, all of these humans try to team up to take down a woolly mammoth using traps and stuff because the modern guns of the patrol don't have much effect on the beasts. They're Um, huge. 
Yeah, their journey to do so takes them through a mammoth graveyard with several mammoths and like a Neanderthal dude frozen in ice, but they then get unfrozen and have to be fought. But in the end, the mammoth is killed, the cave dudes have enough food for a while, and the Phantom Patrol travels to a new time as far forward as possible, and they sail off, never to be seen again. Oh my god. You got through that really quick. I'm, I mean, I'm not impressed. Like, I, well, that sounds fucked up. Look, I'm trying to I save am... my, I'm trying to save myself, Fox. Uh, these, these, yeah. these Phantom Patrol, like, I actually kind of liked the last one, but this one was just rough. And like, it's another one like, um, there's actually like, like a little feature about Phantom Patrol in a future, in like a Judge Dredd magazine from like a couple years ago. Um, and they kind of talk about Phantom Patrol kind of respectfully, which I kind of, I don't know. Maybe I feel like we aren't seeing the right Phantom Patrols because there's ones where they like fight dinosaurs and ones where they fight giant bugs and stuff. And they keep showing us historical guys. And this one, which is just awful. Um, Again, like I am sure that there are good Phantom Patrols out there. I saw them blowtorch a fucking trireme or whatever. That was cool. It was awesome. Yeah. Why wasn't there more of that? Yeah. Maybe there was. They just chose the ones that were probably not great. Yeah, these feel like ba- like all of the legacy comics feel like bad choices for those respective legacy comics this month. I don't know. Good lord. I feel like it might be sort of them picking the last one of each comic, so they just sort of like it's after they'd sort of lost some creative um juice or something. Yeah. Anyhow, the annual ends with a cast photo of the current uh, members of the of the prog from that one um Close Encounters of the Third Kind issue. <laughs> <laughs> and the answers to all the quiz questions we have defeated you 1981 annual oh thank god so all that said fox what <sighs> was your top thrill for the 1981 2080 annual so it's this i mean this one for me personally is kind of like weird actually my my top thrill is um sorry i'm trying to find if it even has a name yeah tharg's guide to how 2080 is produced oh nice yeah, I actually this it's the like weird because nothing in here was particularly thrilling for me. I mean, other than the the short prose story that we both enjoyed um yeah. about I, the the march to Volgao, mm-hmm. but like this was actually you know, I just don't know that much about comics and and generally in my spare time I'm not doing a lot of reading about them, mm-hmm. but this was just really fun to kind of get get a sort of idea of how they were made that in yeah. this sort of snapshot. So that makes sense yeah. for sure. Yeah. Okay. So what um, might be a crowded field? What had the? Uh, what was the? What was the least thrilling for you this month? What was the bottom I mean, thrill? Like, like all of it. Um, oh, Jesus, it's like sifting through garbage. I uh, UFO hunters or UFO agents. That's not called that. It's like the smokers. Smoke man. Yeah. The fuck. Smoke man, that was garbage. God, I didn't even want to. Actually, you know what? No, fuck it. It's guinea pig. Guinea pig. It was such a waste. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess it was over quickly, but like, it's not even like good. So fuck you, guinea pig. That's fair. <laughs> God. And how about yourself, Conrad? What was the most <laughs> thrilling thing out of this? The 1981 Schmanual. Um, I want to say also that the Robusters story was pretty fun this month. Um. Yeah. Like, just sort of just some fun disaster control Robusters stories, big jobs and all that. But I got to say, for me, my top thrill was the Retreat from Volgao story. Yeah, it was really good. It was the first one of these stories I've read that I've really, like, enjoyed and thought was really um, good, I guess. And so I think it deserves special mention. Um, Do we know who wrote it? 
I can't, it's hard to tell. It was pr- like, there's no credits for it. And like the, uh, the site I usually use for credits also says unknown. I would imagine it was either Steve McManus or Alan Grant, just because those are the guys that write most of this stuff. And gotcha. they probably wouldn't have hired a freelancer to do it. Makes um, sense. Great work, guys. Although it might have been, they might have, I don't I know, they probably wouldn't have gotten like Pat Mills or someone to do that. Even though he wrote the original 2080 story, I doubt. They'd hire hire yeah they they wouldn't hire a freelancer on for an annual never mind um anyhow <laughs> bottom thrill oh geez man I'm gonna say uh Phantom Patrol just because it was uh, tough and just a terrible way to end this annual it really kind of left me with a bad taste in my mouth for the whole thing and yeah. it was just long and kind of felt like it retread the same ground over and over again but <laughs> I'd also like to mention that man um. Green Cheese Man was a rough story for print <laughs> stories. Burn um, it. Guinea Pig was rough just for sort of like, what is this story? Why does nothing happen here? And <laughs> Smoke Man was tough just because, man, its art style was really weird. Like, d- the art style made it seem boring just because there wasn't any motion in it. And it just went on for like a thousand years. All the legacy comics were rough, were bad and went on for a thousand years this um, annual, <laughs> which is terrible. It's really horrid. (laughs) Whatever. It's over now, and soon we'll be able to read delicious, tasty comics. I gotta say... All new storylines. Exactly. Um, Anyhow, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at Cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at SpaceSpinner2000 at Gmail, or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages, or on the 2080 forums. On Twitter, we're at space spinner 2k and for everything else just look up space spinner 2000 and we should be there tune in next time as we continue our annual week with the 1981 judge dread annual um it's the first judge dread annual and i think it's pretty awesome to be honest um it's a thousand it's 100 dread and dread adjacent material except for one story that is sort of vaguely dread related but is um also the basis of a ridiculous cult classic movie so i think it's got its own sort of benefits so get hype all right i'm, I'm hypish yeah i think it should be good um until next time i'm conrad he's fox and we are space spinner 2000 Bundug, 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 Bundug.